0: Well, good morning. morning. You guys obviously made the time change. Are we done with that? I feel like, isn't that over with? I don't want to have to remember when I have to jump forward, fall back. Anyway, sorry, I'm not going to get into my issues. Actually, I am going to get into my issues today because that's what I do. And and so I wanted to just, uh, if you guys want to jump ahead, we're going to be in John chapter five, uh, looking at a few verses there. But I wanted to ask you this question first. Does anyone, or I guess, have you ever been asked, what are your strengths? Yeah, probably, right? right? And as you think about them, like privately, you're kind of like, oh, I can't think of all of them, but I'm sure there's so many. Uh, and, but it, what, what happens is there's a rush of emotion that kind of, you know, overwhelms us. There's positivity. There's things that are good. Like we, we can name a few things that we're pretty good at. But what about when someone asks for your weaknesses, it's a little different tone, a little different change. Maybe in an interview setting, you've, you've said things like, well, one of my weaknesses is that I'm sort of a perfectionist and I just don't know when to shut it off. You know, it's just, I don't want to let the team down. So, I mean, that's, that's, that's probably my greatest weakness. I mean, or maybe that's not you. Maybe that's not how you would respond. But maybe we focus a little bit more uh, on, on the things that are truly like we're not good at. And when we do that, it sort of changes our mood. It changes our attitude, our feeling, our emotion. And, and it might even change the tone in which we might describe those things compared to the you know, strengths. Why is that? Well, my belief is that we respond to our weaknesses like they're things that we need to keep hidden. Something that we don't want others to see. We feel that our weaknesses are somehow going to reveal like vulnerabilities because the truth is they will. They, they will. But is that a bad thing? See, we act the same way when talking about our brokenness, you know, our stuff, our mess, the, those things that we try not to talk about, that we try not to let other people know about, well, because. We don't like like how it makes us feel. Maybe we feel dumb. Maybe we feel shameful. Maybe regretful. Maybe sad. Inadequate. Not good enough. We feel like our brokenness is this weight that we're carrying around or trying to shake off or trying to even hide it our entire life. But the truth is, there is no person in the history of the world who doesn't feel the weight Of their own brokenness, whether it's something that they did to cause it or things that happened that were out of their control and weren't their fault that caused sadness and grief. See, we all have a mess that we're carrying, we all have that brokenness. The beautiful thing is that God doesn't want us to tuck it away out of sight, He doesn't want us to hide from it. Pretend like it's not there. He wants to use it. We are continuing our Down and Out series, and today's message is titled, Your Brokenness. So we're going to spend the time talking about you guys. No, I'm kidding. Uh, it's, it's, that would be easier for me. <laughs> I want us to explore what it is about our brokenness that God actually wants us to use and what that might mean for his kingdom, for the people around us. So like I said, today we'll be in John chapter 5. If you have a Bible or a phone, please open it to that passage. Try to avoid your temptation of answering the wordle for the day. If you don't have one, it will also be up on the screen. So let's read. John chapter 5, verse 1. Some time later, Jesus went up to Jerusalem for one of the Jewish festivals. Now, there is in Jerusalem near the Sheep Gate a pool which in Aramaic is called Bethesda, or House of Mercy, House of Grace, and which is surrounded by five covered colonnades. Verse 3. Here a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. One who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. When Jesus saw him lying there and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked, Do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have no one to help me into the pool when their water is stirred. While I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. Then Jesus said to him, get up, pick up your mat and walk. And at once the man was cured. He picked up his mat and he walked. Now, I love this passage for so many different reasons, but first, I want to unveil a little bit of my own brokenness to you. So now, many of you know uh, some of my stories in my past. I've shared some of the things uh, with you all, but, but if you didn't know, I, I was kind of very competitive uh, when I was younger, and I know some of you are like, used to be, like, I don't understand. Uh, I Quiet down. Now, winning isn't a bad thing, okay? It's not. Winning's not bad. I still want to win at every game that I play, but I used to be so competitive that my mindset was like, win at all cost, right? Cut corners even, cheat, lie, and steal if I have to, that kind of person. Now, don't look at me that way. I'm, you know, I, I said I used to be that way, but I, I, that, I mean, I'm just trying to share. Anyway, I was, I only resorted to these tactics when I felt like I met my match. You know, I thought, I'm not going to let him win. For the most part, I think I was skilled enough, and I think I am skilled enough that I usually am able to win on my own. Uh, but there are plenty of times where I would steal money from the bank playing Monopoly. Like I, I, I would, you know, I would skip squares. Playing the game, sorry, not sorry, but I, you know, I, I would take a peek at some of the hands that people were playing, just like at a corner. My eyes can do funny things, and, uh, and, and I would be able to see kind of what they're playing. I'm like, okay, I'm going to fold right here. It, it's really weird to kind of tell you all of this because, like I said, I only resorted to these things, these tactics, when, when I needed to, which was rare, but I still did it. So here's my confession to you. But growing up, I was always trying to figure out the game. I was trying to figure out the edge. How can I make it easier for me? And that would, that would ultimately make me victorious. Now I know. Sounds kind of like I'm a psycho. I get it. Because I, I was. I was neurotic about winning when it came to games. And, and some of you are like, yeah, me too. I'm the same way. And others of you are like, I hate those people. And, I, and I, I, we, I, we understand. We hate us too. <laughs> it's, it's just, it is a thing. I remember when we were first married, uh, Jessica and my wife had played games enough with me that, uh, that she would say right before we started games, just so you know, we're not married for this game. You know, she was telling others, like letting people know, like, hey, things are going to be said that we're not real proud of. Um, but there was, it was also like a warning shot fired in the air, like, all right, let's go. We ain't going to be friends right now. And so I always was kind of oddly afraid of that at times. But then immediately, I'm just like dropping the gloves, smearing war paint on me. I'm like, let's do this. Guys, just as a, as a tip, don't do this. It's a bad idea. It never ends well. It's not worth it. But, but you know, what I realized is after decades of being this way, I didn't like who it made to be. I also began to realize that it started to creep over into to everything that I was doing, whether it was my work, my school, my friendships. And when I didn't measure up, it would sink me into a funk, not good enough. Because the reality was, according to my standards, I was never going to be. I didn't always win. I didn't. Sometimes there were other people that just were better than me, quicker than me, smarter than me. You know, they, they were more psychotic than me and better cheaters. You know, it's like that, that was like the pressure that I felt all the time. And maybe this doesn't relate to you at all. But the truth is, we are part of a culture that's filled. I mean, Saturated with competition, with selfishness, with comparison, that it's left us paralyzed. And at the very least, maybe apathetic. Look at verse 3. It says this. Here, a great number of disabled people used to lie. The blind, the lame, the paralyzed. There were people who were unable to see unable to move due to disease or ailment or who were completely paralyzed. They couldn't even move. This is the scene. This is what Jesus and his disciples walk into that day. And in those days, there was this belief that these disabled people, amongst these disabled people, that there was an angel or some heavenly being that would stir the waters in the pool and whoever reached the water first would be healed now i don't know about you but this sounds like a terrible thing to believe i mean you got to think about it there are people who cannot see people who have trouble and pain moving people who are completely paralyzed and you're going to make them believe that if as soon as the water is stirred as soon as the water is agitated they those people have to race down to the waters to touch it to be healed I mean, I don't know about you, but that just sounds cruel. But this is what they do they compete, they race, they scratch and claw, they feel the overwhelming pressure to be first because that's where they'll finally find what they're looking for. Look at verse five. It says this one who was there had been an invalid for 38 years. 38 years. Can, can you imagine waiting 38 years for a miracle to happen in your life? I don't know about you, but I don't want to wait 38 minutes. I don't want to wait 38 seconds for my food to heat up in the microwave. I don't want to wait 38 seconds for my computer to log on to the internet. I don't want to wait 38 seconds at that stoplight to turn green. Just turn green. 38 years. See, we can't imagine waiting 38 years for anything. But how many of us have been dealing with our brokenness for years? Five, 10, 15, some of you, maybe even as long as 38 years. How many of us have allowed our issues be an obstruction to growth, to healing, and to the real life that God offers us? Me too. See, I had, a priv- I had the privilege a couple weeks weekends ago to go to, with a group of, of students and leaders to our winter camp, and here's a little picture of them and uh, our group in the snow. It was a great time. Shout out to my student leaders out there. Mm-mm-mm. Thank you very much. Uh, anyway, but at, at camp, we, we, we explored the theme of interruptions and how interruptions can be a major, a major inconvenience. But also how interruptions by God, like interruptions where God is the interruption, can be life-altering. And in this passage, the first thing that I see is, is that Jesus interrupts this man's life. Which brings me to point number one. Jesus interrupts our brokenness. This dude believed that one day he'd win. Otherwise, he wouldn't be there. That one day, he'd beat everyone to the water and finally get his miracle, right? His quick fix. One day, things would change. And he he kept looking at the pool that offered one fortunate soul the chance of healing if he could just somehow move his body to touch the water. He'd been there for 38 years, and it obviously hadn't worked out for him. But let me ask you this. Is it working for you? And you're like, well, what, you, what do you mean? What do you mean? What are you talking about? I mean, what is it about your brokenness? What is it about your mess, about your stuff, about your issues that you're waiting around, hoping something, someone, some lucky break, some fortunate turn of events is, is going to somehow take everything away? Listen, this question is as much for me as it is for anyone else. All my life, it's been about winning, about comparing, about measuring up to some standard of success in the eyes of others, in the eyes of my peers, in the eyes of colleagues, in the eyes of my parents, in the eyes of God. And guess what? According to my standard, I failed. I'm not good enough. I'm never going to be good enough. And that's the constant track that's on repeat in my head. Constantly. And I have some incredible people in my life. A lot of people in here that I would include in that group. Who have my back. Who are on my side. Who have spoken truth to me support me. But all I can hear sometimes is that track replaying, replaying, replaying. They could be in front of me, shaking my shoulders, telling me, giving me the truth of who I am, of who God, how God sees me, who I really am. And I can be in this comatose state. Can anyone relate to that? Look at verse six. When Jesus saw him lying there, and learned that he had been in this condition for a long time, he asked him, do you want to get well? Sir, the invalid replied, I have, I have no one to help me into the pool when the water is stirred. Even while I'm trying to get in, someone else goes down ahead of me. See, Jesus didn't ask him, hey man, you need some help in the pool? You want me to drag you on that mat you got there? I can give you a push. No, he, he doesn't. He doesn't say that. Jesus is not offering a fix to the problem of getting into the water. He's offering him, offering him himself. Jesus is offering himself. See, Jesus not only interrupts our brokenness, but point number two, Jesus is more concerned with our internal brokenness. See, and I think that's really important for us to understand. We can be so fixated on a solution to our brokenness that we think that we know what's best. We think we can fix what's broken with a quick remedy. We think we know what we need, but what Jesus is saying to this man And to us today, that what you need isn't something external. You don't need a more convenient season. You don't need your dreams to come true. You don't need to wait for a sign. You don't need to wait for the right timing. You don't need an emotional feeling. Notice that Jesus asks this man, do you want to get well? And the man answers with all these excuses, as to why he hasn't been able to get in the pool. He doesn't care. Jesus is not. Jesus doesn't ask that question, how to get to the pool. And I love that he doesn't care about our excuses. I love that, because I got a lot of them. He doesn't care that I think I need to get things right first. He's, he's patient enough for me and for you to finally realize that all he, that we ever need All this man ever needed, all I ever need, all you ever need is Jesus. He's the only one that's going to be able to satisfy us. He's the only one that's going to be able to get us, our our focus off of the pools in our life and realize that he's come to fix our heart. Look at verse 8. It says, then Jesus said to him, get up pick up your mat and walk. At once the man was cured and he picked up his mat and he walked. Like I said, Jesus wasn't there to help him get into the pool, to beat every other paralyzed person down to the water. Jesus wasn't there to help him see that the, the whole purpose of Jesus being there was to help him see that he never needed the pool. He never needed it. And I love that Jesus tells this man to do something that he's never done before. Get up and walk. See, before I met Jesus, I never walked a day of my life without the reality of and the weight of my brokenness. Now, I would have described it differently. I would have called it my inadequacy. I would have called it my bitterness. I would have called it my insecurities. But the day that I finally said yes to Jesus was the day that I began to rise up out of that circumstance, out of my own mess that I, that I had grown so comfortable with. I didn't like it, but it's what I knew. And that brings me to my last point. Jesus isn't limited by our brokenness. This man had every excuse. He had grown used to his circumstance, comfortable, with his brokenness. And he had been like that for 38 years. And I believe that we're no different. We can get used to our brokenness. We can get used to lying down on our mat, waiting for something to change. We limit ourselves by giving excuse after excuse as to why things aren't different. See, Jesus isn't limited by our brokenness, but we sure are. And there are people here today, online, outside, that need to understand that today that God is offering his hand and telling you to get up, to rise. And maybe you feel stuck. Maybe, Maybe you feel the weight of loneliness. You feel the sadness of what's happened to you. Maybe you feel like if you had a different situation, right? If I just had a different family, if I just had different parents, if I had just different friends or maybe a different job, maybe a different person in my life, things would be better. And you think that if those things change somehow, that if it it would kind of fix what's broken inside of us. Well, I'm here to tell you that if that's you, then you're no different than this man that we're reading in the text. Jesus said to this man, and he's saying to us today, we don't need those things. What you need, and all you will ever need, is him. As the worship team kind of makes their way up here, I wanted to share this quotation with you. It's from C.S. Lewis, uh, from The Weight of Glory, and you've probably heard this. We've shared this plenty of times. I know I've shared this some people, and I want to read it to you, but then I want to explain it a little bit. It says this, It would seem that our Lord finds our desires not too strong, but too weak. We are half-hearted creatures, fooling about with drink and sex and ambition when infinite joy is offered us. Like an ignorant child who wants to go on making mud pies in a slum, Because he can't even imagine what is meant by the offer of a holiday at the sea. We are far too easily pleased. See, what he's saying is that we have settled for lesser things. We think our happiness will be found in winning. Or being the best version of ourselves. Or measuring up to some standard Or having the right family, or the right person, or the right life, or the right things. And it's not bad to pursue those kinds of things. But when they become our focus, we lose sight of Jesus standing right in front of us. Offering the only path, the only way that will ever satisfy. And maybe, maybe you're like me. Maybe you have some control issues, you know. Maybe you, ha- you want to be the decision maker and the one who determines your direction. How's that been working out for you? See, regardless of our situation, regardless if we've been missing him this entire time, doesn't matter how long you've grown up in the church, doesn't matter how short your time has been in a church setting or around Christians or diving into a text like this, doesn't matter. Jesus will meet you exactly where you are, anywhere. This is a great place to do that, but it doesn't have to be here. It could be tomorrow morning on your drive. It could be Wednesday afternoon as you're picking up the kids. It could be at school as you're walking through passing periods. He will meet you there. He waits for our eyes to notice that we've been looking beyond him all this time at pools that offer us nothing. And he waits there patiently for us to see that he's been there all along, waiting. He waits for our eyes to notice that we've been looking way past that. I love that this passage, Jesus said, he says, pick up your mat and walk. Why not just get up and walk, dude? Let's go, let's dance in the streets. No, he says, pick up your mat and walk. That seems kind of an odd thing to say. What does his mat have anything to do with this man and his healing? Everything. Because a man walking the streets, walking in town, is just another man walking in the streets, in the town. But a man with his bed in his hands has a story to tell. A man with a bed in his hands causes others to notice. It's a constant reminder to him and to everyone that God has done something today. And it's incredible that it happened through his brokenness. Through it. See, I think that we've seen our brokenness as something awful and terrible. Something that we want to get rid of. That we want to hide. And Jesus offers us the broken, that through brokenness, a way. A way that only he can provide but not so that we can be done with it and get rid of all of it, but so that we can tell a story, so that we can show the proof of what Jesus has done and is still doing in our lives. Our brokenness is a part of a story to be shared, to be told, to be remembered, so that we might marvel of what God has done in us and so that others might see that too. Let's pray. Would you stand with me as we pray? God, thank you for this this morning. God, I'm reminded of John 14, 6 that says that I am the way, the truth, and the life that no one comes to the Father except through me. You are the way. You make a way. And not a way around things, but a way through things. Through our brokenness. God, our brokenness is not something to be hidden. It's something to be given over. God, to invite you into our life to say yes so that we do not carry the heaviness and the burden on our shoulders, God, so that we can finally, finally be empowered, God, to be given the same power that has raised Jesus from the dead, God, to be dwelling inside of us so that there might be a way finally finally through it. And God, it's every day, it's every step saying yes to you, Jesus, that you are the way, that you are the truth, that you are the life. God, will we worship you right now? God, will we respond in worship? Let these words speak over as a prayer for us. God, maybe be the words that we cannot say. And God, would your spirit help us use these words, God, to be the prayer of our soul? In Jesus' name we pray.